0: Alright, we are moving uh, forward in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 13 still. Last week uh, we looked at... uh, the, the sermon that was preached at Antioch in Pisidia. And today we're going to move for Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch in Pisidia, which, remember, is in sort of what is modern-day Turkey, uh, in the middle of Asia Minor. Um, and uh, they're on their missionary journey, and they've preached a sermon in the local synagogue. And now uh, we're going to see a little bit of the response to their sermon. Uh, So with that, let me go ahead and read. You can find it printed for you in your Bolton from Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 44 to 14, verse 7. Sort of the responses of the gospel proclaimed. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of the district. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. when an attempt was made by both gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe and cities of like uh, like Konya and to the surrounding country and then they conti- where and there they continued to preach the gospel the word of the Lord you, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, just for the way in which uh, you spread your gospel throughout the land and how you use these men, Paul and Barnabas, at, the, at this point juncture in, in, in the life of the church to do that, and we thank you for their faithful witness. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, encourage our hearts with your word this morning, and help me as uh, your messenger to be faithful in presenting your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, and, and, uh, we read a parable You can look at it in chapter 22 of Matthew uh, and in Luke chapter chapter 14. uh, We read a parable about a king or a master, in the case of Luke, who, on a banquet, I don't know if you remember this parable, um, but he sent his messengers uh, to go and invite all the people, and the people reject the message, in fact they reject the messengers, and in, in, the, in the, at least in the, the Matthew account of this parable, they in fact kill the messengers of the king. So the king not only punishes those who murdered his servants, but then he sends out his servants again to the various highways and various byways to invite others in. The text says that they invited both the good and the bad. In Luke's account, Jesus focuses particularly on the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So he went to those who were least, those who were socially rejected. who went to the sinners. Our text this morning in Acts in many ways reflects the paradigm of this parable. The servants of the King, that is King Jesus, go out to the people. They go to the synagogue and they invite those in the synagogue worshipping uh, Yahweh, they, they invite them to come and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to honor Christ as Savior and King, and in that sense, to join in the banquet feast uh, of eternal life that is offered. And yet, while some of them believe, the Jewish leaders and a majority, a large group of the Jews, reject the invitation. So the servants of Christ do what? Paul and Barnabas go and they proclaim the good news to the Gentiles, They go to the least likely attendants. Pagans, sinners, outsiders. The question for us is, how do we respond to the gospel, to the king's invitation? And in this passage, who is it that you identify most with? Uh, Those are some questions that I want to wrestle with in in our sermon this morning. I want to explore these questions and reflect on the various Persons or parties involved in the story. I want to reflect on the Jews who reject the gospel. I want to reflect on those who embrace the gospel. And I want to reflect on Paul and Barnabas themselves who proclaim the gospel. Uh, But my hope is that as we look at this and we identify ourselves, that we would identify ourselves as those who are in desperate need of God's grace. Those who are needy, who are needy people, and that we would not just see our need for God's grace, but that we would rejoice in this word of grace that is proclaimed to us, this invitation to the banquet. So, first, I just want to see that the uh, call to rejoice in the word of His grace, or to rejoice in His grace, which is for all. Right, it's for all, and I'm particularly going to focus on uh, the two groups. You might say that those who reject the word of grace and those who embrace the word of grace. Um, last week, we focused on uh, the actual sermon that Paul preached in the synagogue. That's sort of the backdrop of the of the text that we read this morning uh, in Antioch of Pisidia. Um, But I didn't spend a lot of time reflecting at the the end of that passage, there was a, a small section, verses 42, they're not printed for you in your bulletin, I'm going to read them to you. Sort of the initial response, you might say, of the people when they heard the sermon that Paul preached. It says in verse 42 and 43, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue... In the grace of God, in this response, it's pretty positive. It seems very positive. In fact, the people are—they're eager to learn more. They, it seems like after Paul and Barnabas are done, they kind of follow Paul and Barnabas down the road. Like they follow them out of the synagogue and they follow them towards their home, and they say, "Come back, talk to us some more." These were Jews and devout converts, those who were sort of identifying themselves with the Jewish people that came from a Gentile background. They wanted to hear more. Uh, at this point, there's no indication that the Jewish leaders of the synagogue were upset. Uh, we don't see that until, the very, until just a, a, in a moment. But, um, so maybe they were holding back. Maybe they were confused or perplexed or wondering or needed more information from Paul and Barnabas. Or maybe they wanted to debate them a little bit, to ask questions uh, about what he was saying. Remember, in the sermon he was saying, uh, he, "You know, here's the history of Israel and our, our sinfulness and brokenness, and here is our hope in Jesus Christ. And he, he sort of walked us through the history um, of Israel. But there was no absolute rejection uh, at this point. But it's interesting, Paul's little remark, that he tells these people, you know, as he's going off to his home, uh, or wherever he's, not his home, but wherever he happens to be staying, he says, continue in the grace of God. And it's at this point that our text begins. A week has passed. Um, and I, I wonder if Paul, in that exhortation, was uncertain of their response and he was encouraging them to continue in the grace of God that is continue to reflect on this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to continue to press to understand their own brokenness and neediness I wonder if that was in his mind as he looked at the the Jewish audience in front of him and was uncertain of how they were going to ultimately respond and this brings us to our text A week's past word has spread, and I I think this was, at least for many of the Jews, and particularly the Jewish leaders uh, at the synagogue or in this area, proof that Paul's gospel invitation ought to be rejected. What was the reason? We are told that almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, that sounds exciting. Imagine the whole city of West Hartford coming through the doors of town hall on Sunday morning to hear the Word of God preached. It would be an exciting moment. I think there's a sense in which we might consider that exciting. But let's put ourselves in the shoes, try to identify a little bit with where the Jews were and how they might have experienced this situation. For them, I think it was too much to bear. Um, this may be an obvious maxim i don 't know maybe it's maybe it isn't even a maxim it's just it's just is, but in general, the more common a thing is, the less desirable a thing is right The more common something is, the less desirable it is um, The more precious or rare something is, the more um desirable it is. I, you know, There, you know. when I was a kid, it was baseball cards, right? You get that rare rookie card, and then what is, you know, Fleer and whatever the other one, they start overproducing cards, and what happened to the value of all of our baseball collections? They're non-existent, right? You guys have boxes, well, some of you have boxes of these things that are worth nothing, right? Um, the more common a thing is, the less desirable that thing is. Well, maybe this is what caused a bit of a shift among the Jews when they saw the crowds of Gentiles and pagans gathered around Paul to hear about this thing called grace and this person called Jesus. Uh, think about it for a moment. For them, being Jewish involved all sorts of things. It involved circumcision. It involved obedience to the law of Moses. It involved sort of identifying yourself wholly with this people, being set apart as holy uh, and being distinct and different. That was, that was the marker uh, to be unique. And now here comes Paul proclaiming the gospel message is for all and it's free. It wasn't about becoming Jewish. It wasn't about following all the outward practices of the Jewish people and proving yourself. The gospel message that Paul preached was that forgiveness of sins comes through this man, Jesus, for anyone who believes. It's a free offer of the gospel. You now, here were there, these diaspora Jews, Right? They hadn't succumbed to the cultural forces around them over the generations. Well, at least not uh, to any great degree, or at least not enough that their fellow Jews might start talking negatively about them, right? They they sort of retained their identity as being Jewish, even in the midst of a pagan, foreign, uh, Gentile, uh, uh, unclean people, right? They had spent their their whole lives for generation after generation uh, protecting and maintaining this close system. And now Paul comes and says, anyone can join the club. That forgiveness of sins is as simple and as free as turning to and trusting in this person, in Jesus Christ. The one who claims to be their Messiah. Can you see how they might have been jealous? Can you see why they might have reviled Paul for what he was saying? He was destroying their system, their way of life. Back when um, music was more curated, uh, when finding new bands was challenging, it's not so challenging anymore, the internet is... I feel like it's so broad; it's hard to had any commonality in music anymore. But, um, but back in the day, uh, when before the internet, um, you know, you went you looked hard for that niche band, that cool band, uh, and the kiss of death for any music, any indie music aficionado, anybody that was loved that sort of search and finding and sort of enjoyment of that sort of niche music. Um, the, the kiss of death was when it was played on a popu- when that band was played on a popular radio station, right? Um, all of a sudden, all their work of finding and following this band was wasted. It seemed cheap; they sold out, and so the aficionado says something like this to a friend who starts raving about their band uh, that they heard on the radio. He says, "Yeah, I like their earlier stuff, uh, but I don't really dig their latest album. It, it's too mainstream." Right? That's, a, that's a light example. But I wonder if some of us don't resent the gospel because it's too free. I mean, we've worked hard to be as good as we possibly can and have as much knowledge as we possibly can, and there is this messy, broken sinner next to me in church who can hardly define justification, which we did in Sunday school class, right? Um, Who might be socially awkward, who sometimes says rude things, who can be offensive, or who doesn't fit my conception of what's acceptable as a Christian. And they're equal in standing... Before God with me? Don't people know what this person is like? How often they sin? How theologically ignorant they are? Why are they worthy of the gospel? See, we can get offended, can't we, at the freedom of the gospel. This is the radical nature of the gospel, isn't it? That it's free, that it's based on grace, that undeserved goodness and benevolence of God, that grace of God towards broken sinners. And we can resent it. Paul had some harsh words for these critics an interesting turn. Paul points to these Jews who no doubt were judging the rabble of Gentiles sitting there in their preferred seats, right? They inundated the synagogue and, hey, that's my pew. What's that Gentile, unclean, uncircumcised person sitting there in my section of the church? Paul had an interesting turn of judgment. He says that they have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. It's a confusing way to put it. But I think what Paul's getting at here is he's saying they're not the ultimate arbiters about who's out and who's in. That's God's role. And as you reject this free offer of the gospel, you in fact are judging yourself not worthy of eternal life. You are saying that that's not for me. You don't realize what kind of danger you're putting yourself in. If that wasn't enough, Luke, in his description of events, uses this covenantal language of election. That was the language that was normally applied to the people of God, right? That, that, that we talk about predestination and election, it's a, a complicated, difficult topic. And however we might wrestle with that, it's hard to grasp how God would call somebody like a messy pagan and call them his chosen. But that's the language Luke uses. He says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Do you see how difficult this was for the chosen people of God, for Israel? They, They recognized that They thought of themselves as God's people, as God's elect, as God's chosen ones. And here was this gospel that was going out to all these people, free of charge. Can you start to identify a little bit with them? But the freeness of God's grace for sinners is what makes it so precious too, isn't it? The God who saves the likes of me. That he would offer himself up for me. The difference in response of the Jews who were jealous and reviled, Paul, and the Gentiles who, and those Jews who did accept the gospel and who rejoiced and glorified the word of the Lord, as it says here, is in how they identified themselves. They recognized themselves. The one On the one hand, those who rejected the gospel saw themselves as privileged and loved by God by virtue of who they were. Right? The other saw themselves as privileged and loved by God despite who they were. See the difference? Christ came. He sent out that invitation to heal the sick and the lame, to bind up the brokenhearted, and He came to save the lost and to forgive the sinner. And this is cause for rejoicing in the grace of God, which is for all. And that means it's for you for me and for that messy person sitting next to you next thing I want to think about here is Paul and Barnabas and their ministry as they proclaim the word they rejoice in the grace of God even though we might be rejected on account of it right so this is this is a hard thing being rejected on account of this grace i think we can at times relate to the jews who resented the inclusion of the gentiles and their own self-righteousness. And hopefully we can relate to and identify ourselves with the Gentiles and those Jewish believers who heard the word of grace and responded with joy and in glorifying God. But I think we can also identify with Paul and Barnabas and the challenge of sharing the grace of God that is in us. Can't we? Both of these sections... The the end of chapter thirteen and the beginning of chapter fourteen that we read highlight the mixture of acceptance and rejection of grace. We we've kind of looked at it a little bit already, but I just want to highlight a few verses. Uh, verse forty nine of chapter of chapter thirteen says this: "And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. There's there's sort of grace that's going out. People are responding to that grace." Uh, in verse chapter 14, verse 1, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jew and Greek believed. <laughs> this, this is like, this is every preacher's dream. When we fantasize about ministry, what we fantasize about is hordes of people believing the gospel. The reality is a lot different. But I don't think it was all that different. Paul, uh, the, the, the joy and rejoicing and the, 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 the growth of people and the gospel and the, the transformation of hearts and lives was absolutely amazing. But, but his rejection... I want that part. I don't fantasize about the next part that Paul has here, where, where he is rejected, not only rejected, but in, in the next passage we'll see that he was, they, they tried to stone him here. and in the very next passage, we're going to see that they actually do stone him, and his friends have to drag him away. We can see the rejection here in verse 50. Of chapter 13 But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Isn't this what keeps us from sharing the gospel with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family members? That fear goes alongside the, the glorious gospel. Was worse in chapter fourteen, as I already described. Um, you can see it in in, in verses uh, two and then verses four to seven. It says, but the believe the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So not only was it just Jewish persecution, but those Jews got prominent people within the community who maybe they were their pagan beliefs were being threatened by the gospel. Of course they were. Got them also. So so the Jews were siding now with the Gentiles. Gentiles, whom they reject in order to kick Paul out. This is tough stuff. Verses 4 to 7 of chapter 14. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled. Who of us has experienced that level of rejection? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But Paul, as we'll read later on, returns to both Antioch, Pisidia, and comes back to the places where he was previously rejected. How is this possible? we make sense of Paul's response uh, of proclaiming the word and then all of a sudden being kicked out? In fact, uh, he makes this uh, gesture, if you will, at the end of his time in Antioch and Pisidia. He literally shakes the dust off of his feet. That's really weird. What's going on with that? interesting, Jesus in his exhortation in the Gospel of Matthew says to his disciples as he's sending them out, he says in chapter 10 of Matthew, he says, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And in Mark's Gospel, he describes it as a testimony against that city. What's going on with this dust shaking? Is Paul just going tit for tat? Is Paul just kind of annoyed and he's just grumpy and he's just going to shake off his feet or do gestures to just because he's mad? No, I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, I think what he's doing is he's making a sign. It's a sign of judgment and warning. Do you remember in his sermon, at the end of his sermon, he said, repent and believe in Jesus, but be reminded of this reality, scoffers will perish. Do you remember that from the sermon last week? There's a warning. Rejecting the gospel puts you in grave danger. So what what can we make of this situation? This sort of great transformation of people being changed by the gospel as well as this very harsh rejection. Uh, One of the greatest barriers to sharing our faith with others is this fear. But I want to encourage you, I think there is great freedom, great freedom, in knowing that it is God's grace that saves. Remember, it was the proclamation of grace was the proclamation of the free offer of the Was the proclamation of Jesus Christ and His work. And it is Christ who saves. And I think that freed up Paul and Barnabas to freely speak and even to use stern warnings like shaking dust off his feet because he knew that it was through that act, that faithful act of proclamation, that people would hear the good news repent from their sins in the fear of destruction and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did not fear because he knew it wasn't ultimately up to him. It was God who works. God's grace. His role was that of the messenger of the King. But the grace of God has another effect on us. And I think this may be the most powerful maybe weapon against Fear of rejection, fear of sharing, hope of the gospel. Do you, you ever find yourself asking the question, "How do I get? How do I get up enough boldness to go share the gospel with somebody?" Do you ever do you ever find yourself in, in that place? I do all the time. The number one thing is when we start to reflect and to meditate and to imbibe the reality of God's grace towards us. When we start to see the amazing grace of God, as we start to reflect on the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we start to consider Him and what He has done for us, as we become more and more enamored with Christ and His work of salvation, when we relish that free gift of the gospel that He forgives us, not because of anything in us, but because of what He has done, the less we worry about what others may or may not say in response to us, and the more desirous we become of presenting that hope that we have to others. There becomes an impulse that we want everyone everywhere to know the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for me, a broken sinner. I just use two examples of people that have amazed me. One is a personal example, one is a pretty common example that you probably can think of. Remember, Paul goes back to these places where he was where his life was in danger. He goes back to those places to strengthen the churches there. There's a there was a girl in my youth group when I worked when I was in Maine. Um, now over ten years ago, fifteen years ago maybe, I don't know. It's been a long time uh, a girl by the name of Noel Beck um, there's, there's a few people in my life that have I don't know how to describe it they, they stand out as bright, shining lights. Do you know what I mean? There's just a few of those people in your life. She was one of those. She wasn't more than 16 years old. Um, and she was the type of person who would go into her class and into her school and she would talk to them, her friends, about Jesus. People would make fun of her. And she never cared. And she would always be beaming with this reality that Jesus loves her, a broken sinner, and she wanted to share it with everybody. She stood to me as an example of the Apostle Paul who didn't consider himself how he would be rejected. Anyway, she stands. I always want to talk about her because of of the light she was in my own life. The other person, of course, this is a more prominent person, someone you probably have heard of, is Elizabeth Elliot, who... After the murder of her own husband by um, this native tribe in Ecuador, went back to that tribe. After they threw spears into her husband and killed him, she went back to that tribe to share the love of Christ. Of course, the greatest example that we have of this is Christ himself. He's the one who who entered into our world and did not consider that equality that he had in the glorious heavenly realms something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, he took on our flesh... And He suffered and He served and He took upon Himself our sin and He died on a cross at the hands of the people He came to save. He was rejected. Friends, as we consider what it looks like Uh, To identify ourselves, we, I think, firstly identify ourselves as broken sinners, desperately in need of God's grace. And as broken sinners, we are reminded of the grace of God in Christ that we have, and that grace should overflow into the lives of others. We ought to, to sing it from the rooftops. And, yeah, some people will reject you. But isn't that just a glorious thing that they rejected Christ as well and you get to somehow, as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, fill up Christ's suffering? That's a a mystery I cannot fathom. We get to identify ourselves with our suffering Savior. And this is, of course, all because God freely offered His grace. It's for you, it's for that person sitting next to you, it's for that person out there who has yet to hear the love of Christ. Don't you think they need to hear it? What a glorious God we have, the one who Himself was rejected for us and so invites us to come through Him into His banqueting table to enjoy life, not because of anything in us, but because of what He has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You for Your grace. Uh, We thank You for this uh, amazing grace. Help us to rejoice in it, to recognize our brokenness and our sin, and then, Lord, that we would point other people to that grace without fear of rejection, uh, knowing that it's not us they reject, but You. Um, but Lord, with the hope that you, by your grace, will work through our weak words to bring others to faith, give us a great love for one another, great love for the lost. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.